0: Welcome to another episode of Nerds Amalgamated. I am the DJ and with me today I have Devi Boy. Hey! What's that? Nothing much. And the Professor.
1: <laughs> Hello! How are you fellas been? Oh, Alright. Living living my way through the slow and bit and dark and bits of sitting in my chair twenty-four hours a week.
0: Well, look on the bright side, at least you're now a responsible adult with all the corona craziness. So that's 24
2: hours a week. You could compress (laughs) that into one day and spend the rest of the week doing whatever you want. (laughs) Definitely didn't make an error in my speech.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I take it you had fun.
1: (laughs) In a a sort of sense, yes, definitely.
0: (laughs) (laughs) How about you, Professor? How's, How's things at your end?
2: It's going pretty well for me. I've got good food. I've got good games. (laughs) Uh, everyone at work started to learn how to work from home so i'm getting less um less busy
0: so you're living the dream
2: yeah it's pretty good
0: (laughs) i envy you you lucky lucky man look you envy me now
2: but you don't envy me a week ago when (laughs) everyone was still learning how to work from home
0: The food was the was the was the kicker. Ah, <laughs> uh, still th- everyone's still thinking talking about the corona craziness and how it's affecting lives and whatnot.
2: Well, it is. Next yeah. topic, please. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Next one. Moving on. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, uh, topic for this week. Um, I've got a story about a live action Robin
1: Hood coming
0: soon.
2: No. Nope.
1: nope. <laughs> uh, but you know there's already been a live action Robert Hood multiple times. Oh yes, can
2: we get Men in Tights animated in the <laughs> movie? Oh perfect. <laughs>
0: Okay, so for this one, it's um this is the Disney version of Robin Hood, which is the one with the animals yeah. talking and whatnot. Yeah. So the movie, so the movie, back then was uh, seen as critical praise, fall and rise again over the years. And um, although its influence seems long lasting, one of the songs "Love" was nominated for an Oscar, while and while another "Ooh Delale" was well known. So this new take, it's gonna feature. Characters are anthropomorphic, and oh, I it...
2: forgotten what happened with cats. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no, Wait, no, no, no. This isn't the Jungle, book. No, no. Oh, jungle no, no, book. no had decent animals. Cats did not. Hey, guys, welcome to our new movie. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be the cat's end of the spectrum.
0: here's the thing, guys. Here's the thing. So this time it's a live action slash CG hybrid format. So you expect to uh, see a live action uh, reboot of the Lion King mold, no live action elements, but the animation presented in a far more realistic
1: style.
2: Yeah, because that worked so well for Lion King, didn't it?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I would have loved to. Be, I would have loved it to be on like the advertising, it's like welcome to you know Robin Hood now using fur technology zero point.
2: 2 <laughs> amp dress effects <laughs> new and approved
0: okay oh uh, but can, can you imagine this in the cats so it, it, they did, they did the cats standard of animation
2: oh man are we going to get a butthole <laughs> cut
0: Oh no! No, please, no! <laughs> I I heard that was a myth.
2: I hope it is. <laughs> you hope. <laughs> you hope.
0: <laughs> oh, oh God! If there, if there is if there is a thing, I I'll, I'll just go. No, no! You pushed it too far. You pushed it too far. <laughs> oh man! I will say this though: bringing the movie, bringing this movie back in at this time. Well, interesting, interesting choice. Very mm. interesting, isn't it? <laughs> uh huh. Why so, is it uh, so interesting? Yeah, well, a- animals co- uh, doing the li- doing live action versions of uh, old animated movies. Come on, it's uh, it's like it worked for Lion King. Let's see it work on other shows like Lady the Tramp. That's and, the thing. Um, it
2: didn't work for Lion King. <laughs> The Lion King remake was not good. It completely lost any of the soul. It was like watching a nature documentary that had annoying songs on top of it.
1: But, (laughs) but, 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 but. It made
0: money. Yeah, (laughs) that was, that's what I was going to say. Like it's, yeah, even though it had like people hating it, 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 1.6 million dollars at the end. (laughs) Yep. Oh, billion, yeah, 1.6 billion. Yeah, I don't want
2: to live on this planet
0: anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the director for this one is uh Carlos Luis Lopez Estrada, but um, best known for directing the 2018 crime movie Blind Spotting. He's and it's be written by Carrie Grimland, uh, who was also in um, a Disney movie, um, which was Lady and the Tramp. Good times.
2: And uh, I see Grenland also co-wrote Godmothered, another Disney movie.
0: Yeah, Disney Plus movie, yeah. So yeah, um, the th- the problem with this one is, so this is going to be released in Disney
2: Plus. Ah, oh, I see. Yeah. Along with everything else that comes out this year, <laughs> pretty much. Uh,
0: there, there is so there is a bit of a thing though. Because here's the thing: like, um, from what I've gathered, it said that Lay the Tramp* was also a Disney Plus movie when the service was launched last year. So they've come, there's now a rule, I think, that basically saying titles that do not—they're not, not going to generate an impressive return on investment in theaters—will will go to streaming, basically.
1: Yeah, makes perfect sense why they need to do that. And... Yeah like yeah, I mean, they still need to get these movies out. They can't really delay them because I mean, just got kind of a backlog then. Yeah, yeah.
0: So I um, mean, yeah, then and and if also then the result of it is basically ste- it builds up the streaming library for Disney and gives a subscriber a reason to continue shelling out the service.
3: <laughs>
0: yeah, although. I wonder with with this version of um this version of Robin Hood. I I wonder how what type of um it, liberties are are they gonna put into this version? Hmm. I
1: mean, you don't really know until it what happens, do you? It's yeah. Bit, like Robin Hood's that one in the middle where it's like I guess less of an asshole. I guess considering how he was not the <laughs> original. Like it's like hey there, Prince Saw, oh, Yeah. Bye. Like I don't know. Make make him add more of a chin. And just make him more of a Disney-like prince, I guess. I don't know. I don't know where they're going to take it, honestly.
2: Oh, this is Disney. So you think about. the animated Robin Hood wasn't nice enough? <laughs> You've got to get you got to get people in the theater somehow. If you're using no, it's digital so, film, so long since I've seen it, so I don't remember whether he was nice or not. I'd assume he was because it's a kids' movie, but
1: who's this? Hey, wasn't he a fox? Yeah, they... yeah, Robin. Oh, Hood okay. Oh, ah, yeah. I'll see you a different animated movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you've got um, okay. well, you know, it could work the same. You just get the fairy community involved, and you'll still make some money. <laughs> Does uh, it to an end in all situations?
0: Oh, man, that 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 yeah, that would be weird if that happened. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine, like, if they do it in the cat style, I can imagine, like, uh, a human face in a bear, in a bear body. I'd be like, no, oh,
1: no, no, no. Do
2: not put that horror in my head.
1: Hey anyway, there guys, welcome to Fur Technology 0.2 with improved tail physics. Do not encourage the furries. <laughs> we added some ass shots for you throughout the oh. film.
0: Oh! <laughs> <laughs> that even worse either I I got an even worse one. The snake. Oh
1: <laughs> Just make it a Naga and never be happy.
0: Oh no <laughs> Oh it's so wrong. <laughs>
2: Please stop.
0: Yep. <laughs> I'm <gonna Okay>. stop. <laughs> yep. So yeah, okay, so the okay, here's the thing. The number one question surrounding this new Robin Hood, whether the CG fox will be as uncomfortably handsome as the nineteen seventy-three version. <laughs>
3: oh
2: man. Well, if they go for the um the Lion King style, it's gonna be hyper realistic. And <laughs> he's not um foxes in real life are not handsome. So we'll be <laughs> we just cat zero point two. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: yeah. There's so many disturbing things we could... Oh. My uh, mind and... is
1: full. Please help. <laughs> it's
0: too yeah. late for you. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right, Anyways, moving along. Uh, Professor, you've got a story about uh, Bohemian Interactive sales <laughs> reaching uh, um, obscene amounts of money.
2: <laughs> well, I wouldn't say it's obscene because it's only still in the millions. But Bohemia Interactive have had their best year to date and made $68 million of sales last year in US dollars. They sold 4.5 million copies of their games and DLCs. And apparently that's partly because last year was their biggest year for releases. Yeah. The um, What I'm excited for, though, is Armour 4, if they ever get to it, because part of Z was producing the... Um, producing a new engine they basically use it as their test bed for a new engine to get the um basically get something going for all their future games so i'm really looking forward to the uh it's called the infusion engine i'm looking forward to that being put into armor 4 because it's now been seven years since um sorry six years since armor 3 came out and they're still producing dlc for that but the engine is showing its age because they're using a hyper-extended version of the engine they used for their first Armour series game, Cold War Assault. No, sorry, Operation Flashpoint, which um, was renamed to Armour Cold War Assault, I think, off the top of my head, when they uh, lost the naming rights and split from their publisher. Uh, so their major projects for the last year, Z, which actually is coming along finally. It's been delayed... Was... Uh, it's been delayed forever because they were using it to build the engine. Ah, uh. but, um, now they, they sold 400,000 copies of the Livonia DLC for that, which, um, the Livonia DLC comes from the armor free DLC. I can't remember the name of it, first contact or something like that. Um, it's a map set in a area based on Poland and armor free they have released a, a couple of new DLCs in the past 12 months. Um, and Figure, which is one I'm disappointed about. It's kind of a z type game, but it's set in um, post-war Norway and is unfortunately Xbox-exclusive. Oh. Yeah. That's a shame. It's a shame because I love this developers' games. They're clunky as hell, <laughs> but you can do things in armor that you can't do anywhere else. Yeah, so uh, that was their... Um, their 20th anniversary, and they uh, plan to release Infusion sometime this year. Yeah. So
1: they, have they announced any uh, features of the new game that's going to be coming? Or...
2: Um, unfortunately, not uh, that I can see. The um, latest DLC for Armour 3 is called Old Man, which is set in uh, the Tanoa map, which is a Pacific island, and is about, well, here's the plot summary. When a new strain of malaria causes yet another humanitarian crisis, and local authorities fail to distribute an effective vaccine to the civilian population, you're tipped off about a possible plot. Together with a former military contact, you attempt to avert a catastrophic power play in the region. So you play as a, a retired legionnaire and come back into service to deal with the issues in the DLC. Hmm. It
1: sounds really interesting. So it's like tropical setting, guessing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. This one's a uh, Tanoa is a tropical setting. The official maps for Armour Free are two islands in the Greek islands, which is um, actually where they ran into some trouble. All of their games, all of their Armour games are, are, I believe, based on actual places until they had a couple of developers get arrested for going on holiday in Greece and taking a photo of a military base. Oh, God, oops. Yeah. So they were arrested for espionage. And they're like, you know what? Maybe we should avoid that next time. So they're <laughs> now done. Uh, Tanoa and Livonia, which are Pacific Island and Poland respectively, but they're not based on any one location.
0: Yeah. Also, speaking of arrest, I do recall they also were arrested in Iran as well. If I recall, I don't remember that. Yeah, they were. Um, so apparently, in 2012, the I- Iran's National Foundation of Computer Games. Wow, what a name. <laughs> so original. And the Iranian um, Revolutionary Guard Corps refused to allow the sale of Armour 3 because the game portrayed the C- CSAT faction, which was composed of Iranian oh. soldiers in the main campaign, as an enemy, of, enemy to NATO.
2: Yeah, so the original um, setting for Armour 3 for the DLCs was the Greek Islands. And the um it's set in the mid twenty thirties. Like I think the first campaign is twenty thirty five. So there's some minor sci-fi weapons. What's what I think is disappointing is um they started off with some very sci-fi stuff, railguns and all that, and then ditched it. And then they mm-hmm. um then they produced um some more just into the future sort of stuff. Twenty minutes into the future. But the plot is CSAT, Turkey and Iran and a couple of other places. Versus NATO fighting over Greece,
1: yeah. and like I guess the final one would be like, is there any new weapons or stuff? I think, or it's yes. still?
2: Oh, so the old man DLC is adding new static machine gun variants and several other assets. I'm just filling up the full changelog now, but the um. Each, what's nice about it, each DLC, they add features to the core engine, and you get that for free, even if you don't buy the new campaign. Mm-hmm. It is um actually a bit awkward that uh, Old Man was released this month, and it's about oh. a uh, malarial pandemic.
1: i was say it was like a few months ago. It obviously has been developed for a while, but oh, wow.
2: Yeah. It's been going for a year or something now, but, but um it's just uh, now they're finally release, and there's a, a malaria epidemic in the setting.
1: I should have probably uh, renamed it, got some more clout. Yeah, mm.
3: right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. deal with the um, deal with coronavirus with your gun. Hey America <laughs> for you. Uh, let's see, tweaked. Vans should now be able to drive over bridges correctly. <laughs> That's, a, That's a good thing that happens. <laughs> yeah that happens sometimes the physics engine is much better than it was in armor 2 but it is still buggy as hell <laughs> uh, i'm just seeing it- if there's any details on what they've added
0: with the new engine just curiously professor um yeah. are they is it going to be um destruct is there going to be destructible environments
2: or is it still um, the okay the destructible environments are already in they're not fully destructible, but if you bomb a building, it will start to collapse. They've been in since the launch of Armour Free. So, yeah, um, the new features I've just seen are the Old Man DLC and um, props for that, decals for that. Um, they've modified the Static M2. There's now a variant of optional ballistic shield and collimator site. And it looks like that's most of the new stuff. Yeah, has infected characters <laughs> not accessible in the editor. Document pending. So some of the content that they add for the campaigns isn't accessible in the editor. Like contact was um, had parts of uh, chemical warfare in it, and yeah. they had a gas mask. But I don't believe they work outside the contact campaign. Which, um, I haven't played it yet, but the trailer strongly implies that there's alien. Because the gate the company that used to be all about military has gotten a bit weird recently. But that's okay, because the fans make enough realistic military stuff to go in anyway. Yeah.
0: yeah. Never underestimate... <laughs> Never underestimate the modding community.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Bethesda. Armor has one of the best modding communities. Like, um, Skyrim has all those cool features. Armor has probably just as big of a modding community for its uh, relative size, and um, that's where DayZ came from. It was originally a mod for Armor 2. Battle Royale started as well a mod for Minecraft, but it also got mods for Armor 2 and Armor 3 and DayZ. Um, I'm trying to think of um, if there's anything else that they've done that has become a big project. Okay, not off the top of my head. Yeah, I am. Um, it's making me want to get back into my um my gaming group. I'm <laughs> part of a uh, part of an armor-free sort of military simulator group We we don't take it too hardcore, but we um yeah we have fire teams and sections and all that, and it's a lot of fun just working in a team like that.
0: Can you imagine a few moments later? <gasps> oh my God!
1: Sorry, what was that?
0: Can you imagine Ooh. a few few moments later, the professor goes, Run,
2: man, run, run!
1: I think that new Discord sound suppression is
2: working really well. Yeah, the, uh, the sound suppression has decided that you.
3: <laughs> you shall you not talk.
2: You are no longer welcome here, DJ. <laughs> Dang. I think you're trying to yell that and your voice is going way too high for pick pickup. So oh. it's like, that's background noise, going to cut it out. <laughs> Dang. Don't do that. That's even worse.
3: Uh.
2: Uh, yeah. So, um, the, uh, yes, I do end up often screaming, oh shit, run. Particularly when you come around a corner and come face to face with the tank
1: Oh, I mean, granted,
2: pretty fair, I say, in that situation. Yeah. It's also so a lot of fun when, um, when you're just pinned down in a building and there's tons of enemies coming to get you and no way out and you have to fight them off. How many enemies usually spawn? Um, I think we used to go for a 10 to 1 ratio for the number of enemies in the map mm-hmm. in the mission. Mm-hmm. And we mostly spawn them as, um, as sections. So about eight men at a time, you can end up with a, a couple of sections coming at you at once. And then, uh, these days we use the Zeus feature, which is basically the game master mode. The game master can spawn enemies, set, uh, fire missions for artillery, set up a bombing run, all sorts of fun stuff like that, just to, uh, screw with you. But, um, yeah, we use that mostly now because, um, we used to script it, but the scripting engine that we were using was a bit non performant. It, uh, uh, I gotcha. Yeah. Needed, um, needed some optimization. Mm. But I think it's a, a lot of fun. Like, a lot of people don't think they'll like it and then they try to get hooked.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's the sort of game which, when you first look at it, it's like, this seems a bit, you know,
2: hardcore, but. Yeah. Yeah, it is absolutely hardcore. But once you learn it, it's so worth it. Yeah. It's got a bit of a learning curve, that's all, hey? Yeah, yeah. and that's why it's best to join a, a team because your team can teach you and help you work around the learning curve.
3: Yeah.
2: Callbatch yeah. is just more fun. Yeah. Yes, it's more fun when you're actually screaming, oh shit, run on people than mm-hmm. when it's just a... um, You're pushing the button and your character... The voice acting in the game is... It has a dynamic voice acting just so you can give orders to your uh, squad mates, and then your character will read them out. But it sounds like contact, man, nine o'clock, <laughs> because uh, it, it just doesn't flow. Such immersion. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. Um. So I think. So you reckon this? The studio will have a big, bright future.
2: I do. I think if they can pump out an Armor Four using or even just port armor free to infusion that would resolve all of the issues they've got with performance because the game does chug when a, there's a lot of enemies on the field. Yeah. Um, so uh, Infusion's supposed to fix the performance, fix, fix the net code, stop hackers. The, the game is sort of notoriously insecure and they, they they've been working on it but infusion should fix a lot of that just because of the way it works yeah. it um it now only gives you data on players within a certain distance of you instead of showing you the like it as i understand it the armor engine um sends you all the data for all of the entities on the map infusion cuts that down to a bubble around you
0: other question as well um if, if... With the uh, Infusion engine, it will be—is it ray trace compatibil- compatible as well? I don't know. Because ray tracing seems to be a big thing nowadays.
2: Yeah, the lighting is actually uh, pretty good, but um, just from a quick Google, it doesn't look like they are featuring ray tracing in Infusion. Mm. But the, the lighting is still very good. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Anyways, uh, so, in the interest of time, let's uh, keep moving along. Uh, Debbie Boy, you've got a story about ESRB and loot boxes.
2: Hey!
1: <laughs> ESRB here. <laughs> hey, guys. You know, we've been hearing your calls, you know, uh, lately in the gaming community. You've been talking about seeing... Oh, what was it? Yeah, oh, it's surprise mechanics. <laughs> you've been very concerned about. So we've taken... a big leap and step to solve this for you. We have now included on all games that include surprise mechanics, a little thing that says, includes
2: random items. That doesn't sound much like a surprise to me. If I buy a game and I already know about the surprise mechanics, it's not a surprise. (laughs) Well, I'm sorry though, sir, but we're
1: already patting ourselves on the back. (laughs) Done. Problem solved.
0: This doesn't Don't tell it, it, anything. There's plenty
1: more surprises for you to find out, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so, Irasafi's finally done something to try and combat the negativity coming from loot boxes. And that negativity is simply just putting a little thing on the bottom of where they usually put them on their little uh, rating logo that says, it's just one little line says, includes random items. And that can mean Anything. I mean, loot boxes, in-game purchases, like mean, it's in-game purchases, but randomized, like it could be a card pack thing or, like it doesn't, it just has to be randomized.
2: It is more um, specific than the old label, which was just includes in-game purchases. Uh, it but is like, more specific. More.
1: Yeah. It, it's like, they've done a whole publicity thing, and it's like includes random items, which is like, if you're a parent walking walk into a game shop or online, you see includes random items. Well, to, you know, <laughs> includes <laughs> random items. Great. Uh, where? What <laughs> what are they? What well, what type are you know? It, it's it's at least something, I guess.
0: And how long has it been since they because if I recall, the ESRB didn't do anything in the first pl- in the beginning, and now they're just going, Yeah, we're gonna add them now.
1: It's been years I mean th- I think twenty seventeen Styles Battlefront two they holding blew up, which when I guess it really started to take off. Um, yeah,
2: oh, the ESRB is a um industry group isn't it?
1: yeah it's run by the industry itself so yeah. obviously you can see where the interests are
0: yeah because when yeah when battlefront 2 came out there was no uh what and, and loot boxes came out at the time esrb said nah we're not gonna do much about it nah
1: nothing that's no, fine guys don't worry about it it's all good what do <laughs> yeah. you mean it's gambling for kids oh, no. it's good. Don't do it. Just don't put your... Ma- oh, you mean it's part of the cool gameplay loop? Oh, just don't worry about it. Don't buy the game. Oh, hang on. Uh, we didn't actually mean that. <laughs> buy it. But just don't play it. Leave it on your shelf. It <laughs> Look, looks, looks pretty. Great. Done.
0: Do uh, you reckon it's too little too late at this point, though?
1: Uh, I mean... Yeah, just to some extent, because companies company is moving away from doing those practices because of the disdain that comes from them. Uh, so, I mean, it's really anyone's game at this point. Having some... I mean, I must applaud the police doing something. It's nice, but... Uh, would it be nice a little bit earlier, guys. Would It be nice a little bit earlier.
0: <laughs> Although, can you imagine, like, being a de- game developer and you feel so guilty just going, do I really... If, ru- if I put... may include random elements... That's going to sting my consumer base. I
1: mean, it's not the game developers doing it, it's the higher-ups. Yeah. So, I mean, for them, it is, they do have a guilty feeling, but it's the higher-ups, who put them in usually. Because you need that money. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it really depends. It really depends. I mean, the benefit of loot boxes, if you can even say there is, but there is a benefit, and that is if the game is free to play, then by all means, fair enough you know you get money somehow to support the service and stuff but if it's just you know a a, it's a paid game it has this as well then you know it's really like guys come on
0: i i just think that it even though it's like i agree with you debbie boy that it's too little too late i just think yeah i i think game companies will find loopholes around this as well
1: there's already a million loopholes in this oh there is <laughs> i mean it just says in-game random items like there are so many it's like a piece of you know sliced cheese with a million holes right through it <laughs> I, I mean it literally it, it gives you some clue that there's a random items in the game i guess but what type or how or what are like just cosmetic or are they actually weapons <laughs> and stuff like
0: <laughs> Will this give my character go- a, a num a a lot of XP? Who knows? How about you, Professor? What's your take on this um, situation?
2: Yeah, I think it's too little, too late. It's um not clear enough. I think it needs more clarity, which is hard to fit in a little box on a box that's already quite small. But I think there needs to be a better way to communicate what it is and how it how it works.
0: Can you imagine like um doing those game ads and it'd be like. Warning, this, this game will also will contain random items. And go, instead of like, going, um, like...
2: Like American um, medicine ads. Yeah. Gosh. This product is not suitable for anyone who is pregnant. Breastfeeding over 50.
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: my in. <laughs> like, Buy it now. <laughs> and, like, the ad is, like, 30% advertising the product, 70% some voice reading offside of it. <laughs>
0: Talking about how bad the loot boxes will be. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I think the key to this at the end is just context matters.
1: Yeah, it does. And again, who knows where it'll go from here? Hopefully, more. Hopefully, you know. Yeah, yeah. But yep.
0: who knows? Yeah. Okay, so um, moving along, um, we've got a sto- an interesting story about the mathematically perfect steak.
1: Oh, yes. Yeah. So, you know, have you had an experience where you've been at the restaurant and gone, Oh, I could, uh, medium rare, please. For a touch of uh,
2: some fat. And
1: give me a glass of wine. And they come back and it's, it's not exactly to, to your standards. It's a bit crispy. It's a bit bad. Well, never fear. Science is here. Uh, so some scientists uh, have done some research and published in the European Physical Journal Plus on March 23rd, they have created a mathematical uh, model that calculates, determines how to get to the most perfectly cooked steak uh, depending on the conditions that it's put in. <laughs> so, yeah, so it takes into account uh, and calculates the Way the meat shall deform, the water evaporates, or the and the you know the steak itself shrinks through the process, or so takes all the counts and works out the correct cooking time conditions to get the most perfect tender and delicious steak imaginable. Look out, Heston! <laughs> I could do it from home as well now too.
2: <laughs> Can you make yours out of a? Um... Make your steak look like a garden bed.
3: <laughs>
1: I nice mean, to do that. you
2: that do it. Just
1: get your steak, cook it well. Make sure you follow the mathematical, mathematical model. Get some Brussels sprouts and uh, get some tweezers and, you know, poke them into the steak itself. It's <laughs> like a garden, you know, the steak's the, the, steak's the brown dirt. And it looks like it's off and there's like things growing in it. It's great! <laughs>
0: uh, so what's the so what are the additions in this in this journal that talks about the um steak, the perfect steak, as they call so it? So
1: addition-wise, it depends on firstly the steak's moistness. There, <laughs> Depends how moist the steak is. So if it's a pretty dried out one or you know, it's still got a lot of uh fat and juice in it. And then also one's obviously the heat and and also the environment so if it's you know a hot environment or the cold environment depends on that it takes into the and air yeah, develops the perfect test and stake. <laughs> so
0: what, what, what have they come out in the what what have they said in the end in the end uh, a
1: success and Yeah, a bit more research needed, but it's a, well, if you follow the studies to the the perfect conclusion, you can get yourself a good steak. Granted, I will say right now, I have not seen the full article because it's locked behind a paywall, as most scientific articles are. (laughs) That's
0: true. I tried.
1: I tried. I wanted to find out the truth, but to read the full article, I think it was like uh, 35 euros or something. So
2: would you pay 35 euros to make a perfect steak every time? I
1: mean, oh, depends. I mean, I, I wouldn't be, I guess, depends how fast you'd be. 37 euros. <laughs> oh, no, Fair hang enough. on. 37,000 euros. 37 40. Wow. Hang on, that? let us do this. Let me get this calculated to AUD because I, I am not a good Euros. I'm sorry, people who live in England. <laughs> Penguin doesn't even use the euro. Oh, hang on. I'm oh. <laughs> All right, so it's. Let me get this right. No, no. Well, Brad is looking up the price. I am trying oh. this. I am. Oh, okay. Six... oh, you got it. Oh. <laughs> He's got it. Can I? Yeah, $63, I believe. <laughs> okay. Oh, no, sorry. Uh sixty-three thousand. What? That seems like
2: way too much.
1: It does. That is the thought wrong. Maybe I'm getting things confused. Regardless, it's money, and I'm not paying for it. I'm sorry. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you're a broke uni student. That's your excuse. <laughs>
1: that is my excuse. I'll eat whatever I can.
0: Uh, you know what's going to be funny though? Imagine if if they with this re- with this perfect uh, model for meat cooking, can you imagine all these YouTube channels all, like, saying, okay, kids, this is how you cook the perfect steak. They all go, nah, okay, I'm cancelling my YouTube channel. Someone's found the perfect way of cooking any meat. I'm done.
2: Well, yes, uh, there is a mathematically perfect way of doing everything. So... You know, I'll be the new season master MasterChef. It's like, well, hey, what do you
1: mean? You haven't cooked the steak to the mathematical... Oh, get it out of my face.
0: <laughs> can, you, oh, can, can you imagine Gordon Ramsay?
1: <laughs> this is fucking... Di- okay, this is discussion. I, I... What are you doing? No, get out. out! I did not tell you not to cook steak to the mathematical pale. Make sure you do. This is disgusting. <laughs> Oh, it's you, the uh, worst dread to humanity You're a <laughs> failure you've, fa- you've, you've done this to yourself Oh, out of here.
0: Oh. Oh, you. Oh. Actually I was thinking Imagine if Iron Chef came back And it's all mathematical cooking oh, oh, I would watch that <laughs>
1: You'll watch it? <laughs> yep Today on Mathematical Cooking We have our contestants Some of the greatest mathematicians across the world Today they must cook Sticker. The what? <laughs> S- sticker. The, stick the best sticker will win.
0: <laughs> oh, it would It would never end. This, this, it will never end. I mean, cookbooks will even go out of business, go like, ah, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: like, you know those books engineers use that have, like, the coefficients of everything in them? Mm-hmm. You just get one of them for your kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> Just get a robot easy
1: done all good
0: yeah um i'm seeing the abstract for this one it's interesting they're saying they're using the flory reiner theory give me a sec which they're saying in um i'm just having a brief look so it it's the brief version of it is basically in polymer science this equation is an equation that describes the mixing of polymer and liquid molecules as predicted by the equilibrium sw- um, swelling fe- theory of Florian Reiner, it describes the equilibrium swelling of lightly cross linked polymer in terms of cross density and the col- and the quality of the solvent.
2: Now, um, that article is published on archive.org and um, it was submitted according to the submitter details. It was submitted by the office, so we can tell it's a legitimate copy. So I'm just going to throw that in the. Uh, in the show notes <laughs> and you too can learn the formula for the perfect steak <laughs> ah! it's found a it. 14 page paper about cooking the perfect steak
0: <laughs> can you imagine
2: like adding a new like add
0: 14 pages to an 14 pages to an
2: already thick cookbook <laughs> more than that because we now need to work out the mathematical model for cooking fish vegetables <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh this yeah. all, this Oh wait here it fun. is the actual document oh man i can yeah. finally learn their secrets well
2: check at the bottom they've even got pseudo code on it
1: oh i'll just plug this in okay so the robot arm I mean, and
2: yeah i don't know what any of this means but it's there <laughs> lots oh, of models lots I of mathematical
1: wonder. calculations i wonder any if mathematicians any... in the chat
0: Yeah, I wonder if anyone can actually decipher all this and come up with it. Who
1: wrote it? She wrote it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I know, but can you imagine asking this, asking all the, will the normal house, will the normal cook be able to look through this and go, I can't cook this, man.
2: No, the normal cook won't be able to. The normal cook will follow the sensible rules that have been developed over time by chefs. So that you know how to cook things, because not everything needs to be mathematically perfect. <laughs> close enough is good enough.
0: <laughs> would you? Have, oh, so, so your opinion, professor, is basically you rather have a, a close enough, good enough steak rather than a mathematical perfect steak?
2: Yeah, because I reckon I'm not going to be able to tell the difference. Yeah. How about Depends. you, um,
1: Debbie Boy? Would you do it? Would I? Hmm. Yeah. If I had the money to buy steak then I would. <laughs> <laughs> Set number 1.
0: I don't know. Okay, I would do it for the exp- for the experience, but I wouldn't do it like on a consistent level. Yeah, just do it once to learn and then yeah. Yeah, and then you go away. You're like, "Yep, I've learned something." <sighs> Although I wonder how I wonder if they said in this um in this article does it include um, two meat? Does it include two veg?
2: No, it doesn't. It just comes oh, to meat. Oh.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, anyway, so, um,
2: Professor, what game have you been playing? I've been playing uh, Think of the Children. Really? That's actually a title? Yes. It's an Aussie game by um, by a team from Brisbane, and I've been playing it with my girlfriend, who's staying with me during quarantine, and we've discovered we probably shouldn't have kids. <laughs> Well, there's, there's the conclusion, isn't there? <laughs> yep. So the um the basic idea is that your player is up to four parents, and you have six children who are being typical children and doing their best to get killed. <laughs> and your goal is to not let them get killed while you also go through and uh, complete tasks. So the hardest level we've done so far is the airport, where you... um have to go through check-in while keeping your kids from getting sucked into the escalator, waking up sleeping people, uh, getting run over by people with their luggage carts. It's pretty frantic, and uh, it's got a bit of a plot, which is really funny. Uh, The writing's really funny. You've been hauled in front of the courts for child endangerment, and you have to justify your position by playing the levels. But the uh, the writing and the court scenes is great.
0: So basically a helico- uh, um, a game about helicopter parenting. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of
3: Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter.
2: At that point, it's not helicopter parenting. It's just stopping them committing suicide. <laughs> because kids are good at committing suicide.
1: They know their future already. They just, all, you know, they're just saving the pain down the line.
0: Uh, although this, th- this type of game reminds me of those um, compilation videos where Dad saved the kids at the last minute, and it's like, oh, my God, that's amazing.
1: Yeah, it's basically the game.
2: Um let's be honest, my girlfriend's not great at game, she's getting better. So it is mostly me saving <laughs> <laughs> Look at Sting on eye horse. <laughs> no,
1: nah, I mean, um so the game itself, like Whoa. basically the uh like the kids they'll run up I think it's like a mulberry bush in one of them, like a poisonous bush, if I remember correctly, and they just just start eating stuff. And then that one runs away. Like
2: one of them will run into the road chasing butterflies. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's just just the car
2: comes and p- <laughs> I mean, it, it, it would get pretty dark pretty fast if it
1: wasn't for the cartoony art style oh.
2: and if there was blood splatters <laughs> true
1: <laughs> but it you know, it comes together really well really well
0: mm-hmm. so what's the biggest flaw you've encountered in this game so far uh
2: I wouldn't say there's any major flaws I haven't had any bugs the um the only flaw is that if we got everyone to play this the human reacts would die out because no one would want kids. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, on uh, that note, uh, <laughs> see you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, well, how much? How I mean, how many beans would you give this game out of?
2: Uh four and a half out of five. Right, like, it's not absolutely blow you away amazing, but it is so fun. <laughs> uh, I reckon I'm going to keep pulling it out at uh, at. Lamp parties and stuff because it's good.
0: Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, Debbie Boy, what have you been playing?
2: Oh, VRChat. <laughs> <laughs> now, as I said to him earlier, I'm worried about what I would see if I checked his Steam history for how long he's been playing that. <laughs> good thing. Oh, hang on. No, it's
1: fine. Oh, hang on. Because <laughs> I was like, I'm using my own account. link to my Steam account. But wait, I still got to get still logging into Steam to start the game. So we're still seeing our a play- Oh damn!
0: for Yep. <laughs> now nah, for everyone at home, prepare to be shocked and amazed. <laughs>
1: I mean, doing a- I've been doing I've been mainly using a VR headset, uh, so it's probably not linked. Actually, I I'll could be, be in the same. Running game. It on the- yeah the yeah. oculus so, uh, oculus shift uh, yeah. shift riff ah what's the one is it
2: quest quest that's, that's the name yeah. <laughs> because that one doesn't have to link to the pc you can load the game on yeah. it so pc wise
1: <laughs> i we go. only played 18 hours Ah. Oh. Okay.
3: Okay, yeah. That's right.
2: disappointingly healthy
1: work-life balance.
3: Yep. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I won't tell if we can play go- with the VR headset on, though. I'll take that secret to my grave.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there we have it, folks. A number so that not you... even you will never
2: know. <laughs> no. Have you met anyone interesting?
1: <laughs> yeah. I means us not good people. It's been pretty good. I mean, I've been mainly just exploring the worlds in there because um, there's some cool things like the uh, climbing games. Um you actually got to climb towers and stuff using the controllers. It's pretty physically exercising. Um, but of course, being VR chat, there is the usual memes and stuff everywhere. And uh, is
2: and still a thing?
1: <laughs> the, odd, the odd one or two kids trying to bring a dead meme back to life. But I mean, the most relative, relative, yeah, most relative meme on there right now would be the uh, simp memes, because, uh, man, there are some, some people are very lusty. Who um, <laughs> <Okay, then.
3: laughs>
2: Is this safe for children?
1: <laughs> hmm, I mean, it's mainly been 20 by 12 year olds, so I guess it is. I've, I've only met one other person who's like 21. Everyone, everyone else that's been on online has been basically like 18 to 13. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Just uh, uh, shout memes basically, but yeah, no, it's it's. I've been enjoying it as a way because I've not really been wanting to buy any, I haven't had the money to buy an actual VR games, but it's a free one and, uh, it's a good introduction to VR. So mm. uh, I'll give it a, I give it a four out of five.
0: Uh, that's nice. Um, I've been playing um Generation Zero <laughs> and yeah, me and the professor we were playing it um a couple of days ago and yeah, we're getting slaughtered. <laughs>
2: It's not an easy game.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah.
2: (laughs) Which um, led to about 15 minutes of me screaming every time I shot through a window while DJ tried to catch up with me because he died and respawned. And uh, apparently I got um, upset enough that my girlfriend, who was in the bedroom playing on the Switch, came out to check on me because she just heard me screaming and swearing.
0: (laughs) She was worried at one point, <laughs> we were like, what yeah. happened? Uh, we were because, um, we were not, we were still barely scratching the surface of that game, weren't we?
2: Yeah, we still, we're still on the uh, sort of the first island, yeah, well, the second yeah. island, but in the first uh, map sector, yeah, yeah, and um, the the plots just starting to open up. We've just gotten to the point where you can select quests. It seems like at the point that we're at, it becomes more about exploration than about um, following a quest marker. So the uh, the plot so far, we've come back from an island holiday on a little uh, little boat, found out everyone's gone missing and robots have moved in and we've gone looking for the people and found bunkers with, um, with notes and stuff that we're now following to try to chase down other people. Hmm. What I'm a bit worried about though is that one of the uh, recordings we found was a radio transmission from the nearby naval base saying, oh, God, help us. There's too many of them. And we're like, that sounds like a nice place to go. <laughs> I think we're going to die.
0: Oh, the, the, and, the, and then um, we had a look at the computers they were using and... You, you were saying some very nice
2: references there, weren't you, Professor? Yeah, so they have a computer that looks like it's based on an Amiga or on some kind of Commodore. And I was just um, having a bit of a go at it because they had the Commodores in the, um, the control room of the bunker. Like the major military bunker had Commodores in the control room rather than having like a deck or something. Like I would have expected to see a PDP rather than a bit of civilian grade hardware. They did have uh, massive tape readers, but um, could have been part of a PDP. But yes, I was just taking a bit of a... taking the piss a bit about the retro computers.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The fun side about this, the other... the biggest flaw, I think we've 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 encountered some flaws. The other biggest flaw we've encountered is the fact that some of the stuff we have to use to distract our enemies are very short-lived, like your radio, for example. <laughs>
2: I put the oh, yeah. radio... <laughs> short-lived. But yeah. um, at least we haven't run into that bug you had last week anymore, where the oh, yeah. uh, fireworks kept going off on your screen but not on mine.
0: Yeah. Or oh, I don't get stuck too many times.
2: Yeah, yeah, you haven't been stuck much recently. Although we haven't been searching many cars, and that's kept getting yeah. stuck. Yeah.
0: But um yeah yes. DJ has
2: issues with card wars. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, um I f- the game's going good and um even though the we even though the bit um tiny nitpicks that we've been having, like the game has been fun to play with. Like this the soundtrack is beautiful to listen to as always. Uh more level design beauties we've been seeing lately.
2: Um Yes that bunker was very atmospheric.
0: Yeah. Um, I'll give mine um, the same score as I did the last time, which was, I think, 4 out of 5. So, yeah. Hmm. So, yeah. Uh, 4.5 out of 5. That was. Uh, so, to our shout-outs.
2: Yeah, um, so unfortunately have quite a few this week, don't we?
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> On the 11th of April 2020, John Conway, a renowned mathematician who created one of the first computer games passes away so john conway is an english mathematician active in the theory of finite groups not theory number theory combinational game theory and coding theory um and also the inventor of the game the game of
2: life yes which to be Uh, clear isn't the board game it's this thing you can do you can do it all by hand using a a couple of sheets of grid paper but the uh Do it on a computer. It's so much easier. Yeah. It's a system of rules for, it's called a cellular automator. And it's a system of rules where uh, you seed the map by deciding which cells are alive and which are dead. And then the, the state of the game plays out from there. There's no further player input. It just determines, like, if the cell has three living cells next to it, it becomes alive. If there's too many living cells, it dies because it's overcrowded, things like that. But the interesting thing is, it's Turing sure complete. So you know, I'm going to throw a link in the show notes to somebody who made Tetris in it <laughs> using just the, the logic of the cells deciding whether they're living or dead.
0: You can even play this on Google. Apparently,
1: or power the toy, If you got that back in the day.
0: Hmm. So a Google search for Conway's Game of Life prompts the search engine to automatically start playing the game. So yeah. it's so yeah, it's now commonly used as an introductory exercise in computer classes. And uh, Conway uh, used, to love, used his love of games to connect with children, spending time at math camps across the country. He uh, passed away from complications from COVID-19 at the age of 82 in New Brunswick, New Jersey.
2: Which is a shame, because this guy was amazing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. On the 12th of April 2020, uh, Sir Sterling Moss, F1 driver known as one of, one of the best behind-the-wheel passes away, uh, Sir Sterling... Cu- Crawford Moss Um, he was inductee of the International Motorsports Hall of Fame he won 212 of the 529 races he entered across several categories of competition and has been described as the greatest driver never to win the world championship Uh, he's best known in the sport as Mr. Motor Racing Uh, long after his retirement he was considered a British national treasure a dashing gentleman who was sh- chivalrous and always sportsmanlike to his competitors, despite the cut and thrust of motor racing, uh, he was knighted by Prince Charles, standing for the Queen in 2000. And there's an interesting story on how he, um, on how he became known as Mr. Um, Mr. Motor Racing. And the story goes: so in 1958, he um he could have won the world championship after taking the Portuguese Grand Prix. His arch rival finished second, giving him a kick, key- the key six points but uh, the, but, his, but the competitor who th- was threatened with disqualification for pushing his stalled Ferrari back on the track after a spin uh, his disqualification could put, would have put Mr. Moss in the driver's seat for the world title, but Mr. Moss told race officials that uh, the competitor pushed the Ferrari in, in only on an off the track area and should not be disqualified. And so the officials took his word for it and awarded uh, awarded the championship to to the uh, competitor by a single point. Wow, Ooh. one point. <laughs> that's a that that's scary. That's sad though. Like I narrowly missed winning the championship by one point. <laughs> oh, can you imagine kicking yourself at this point at at that at that
1: point? Yeah, yeah. that that would have hurt a lot. <sighs>
0: So, yeah, he uh, passed away from a long illness at the age of 90 in uh, Mayfair, London. Yeah. Um, 12th of April 2020, Tim Brooke Taylor, best known for his work on the goodies, and I'm sorry I haven't. I Haven't a Clue, passes away. Uh, Timothy Julian Brooke Taylor, English comedian and actor, he's best known for being a member of the Goodies, starring in the television series throughout the 1970s and picking up international recognition in Australia and New Zealand. He also appeared as an actor in various sitcoms and was a panelist of I'm Sorry, I Haven't Had a Clue for almost 50 years. Uh, In 2008, Brooke Taylor was heard in the Doctor Who audio story The uh, Zygon Who Fell to Earth, made by the Big Finish Productions. Uh, Paul McGann played the 8th Doctor and Brooke Taylor played the part of Mims, a Zygon taking the shape of a human. In 2011, he was awarded the Officer of of the Order of the British Empire during Queen Elizabeth II's birthday honours for his services to entertainment. He passed away from complications from COVID-19 at the age of 79 in the United Kingdom. Uh, 13th of April 2020, Rick May, who voiced Star Fox 63, 64, and Team Fortress 2 passed away. Uh, I bet you... I, I, I'm hoping you, got, you both know who Rick May is.
2: He's Soldier in TF2, and Peppy in um, Star Fox. That's which right. Means he is responsible for... Do a barrel roll. <laughs> <laughs> do a barrel roll. Uh,
0: he was also the um, voice actor for Genghis Khan in Age of Empires 2 as well. Cool. Ah. So uh, he passed away from complications uh, from COVID-19 at the age of 79 in Seattle, Washington. Uh, on the 14th of April 2020, Pip Baker, one of the, one half of the Doctor Who writing duo known as Pip and Jane Baker, passes away. Uh, Pip Baker, along with his wife and writing partner Jane, was was one of the best known writers from the 80, mid-80s era of Doctor Who, writing 11 episodes of the series. Uh, together, they created the Rani, a female Time Lord scientist who was brought to life so vividly by the late Cato Mara, as well as creating the companion Mel. And they've also uh, contributed to four serials um, in the 1980s, such as The Mark of the Rani, t- uh, Trial of a Time Lord, Parts 9 to 12 and 14, also known as Terrors of the Void* and The Ultimate Foe. And the Time and the Rani. They also wrote a couple of novels, and they also wrote a Doctor Who game book uh, titled Race Against Time. Uh, he da- He passed away, from- passed away from complication from a fall at the age of 91 in the United Kingdom. Uh, On to our remembrances. Uh, 5th of April 2020, Anna Blackman, an English actress widely known for the roles of Kathy Gale in The Avengers, not the Disney version you but the british secret spy agency version
2: uh bond yeah i never knew about that until like it was the middle of the night and it was on one of those tv random tv channels like seven go or something yeah and i was like the avengers this isn't the avengers (laughs) not that i not that i expected to see disney like marvel avengers but um yeah, that was where I first found out about it, and it's a tragic victim of the uh, policy of wiping um, tapes because many of the early episodes are lost.
0: Yeah, they. But although they t- they did try to do a comeback with the uh, Avengers T uh, Avengers movie, which was um, Sean Connery playing as the villain, funnily enough. And uh, the uh, the crazy part about in in that movie was uh, people dressing up in teddy bear costumes. In, in that okay movie, I hate that. <laughs> I know, I know. It was just I was. I saw it, at first. When you think of when you saw it the first time, you're like, okay, yeah, okay, that's it. It's really weird. And then when you think about it now, it's like, oh my god, what have you done? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Look, the sixties were a weird time. We're just not going to talk about that. Oh wait, this movie came out in 1998. Yep. <laughs> Look. The 90s were a weird time. They're just not going to talk about that.
0: <laughs> Although, uh, it had a good lineup, though, like Ralph Fiennes playing as the, the agent, and Uma Thurman as a scientist, Sean Connery as a villain. Um, who, who else was there? Uh, Eddie Izzard as one of the henchmen. What could go wrong?
1: <laughs> a lot, apparently. <laughs>
0: Uh, ah, yeah, okay. I, I was thinking to myself like this movie's not going to age well, is it? Ah, uh, so okay. Yeah.
2: Look at the look at the number of Razzies and Stinkers it was nominated for.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a buckalo. That must. Uh, oh, that kind of rivals um cats. <sighs> Anyway, so um, on a, so back to on a Blackman, uh, she also played as Bond Girl Pussy Galore in Goldfinger, uh, Julia Daggett in Shalako, and Hera in Jason and the Argonauts. Uh, she's also be- known for her role as Laura West in the ITC. ITV sitcom The Upper Hand. At 38, she was one of the oldest actresses to play a Bond girl, and was five years older than the star Sean Connery. Um, Albert R. Broccoli said Blackman was was cast opposite Sean Connery in the James Bond films based on the success in the British television series The Avengers. He knew that the the most American audiences would not have seen the program. Uh, broccoli st- said the brits would love her because they knew her as mrs Gale, and the yanks would like her because she was so good it was a perfect combination
2: she does di- so are they implying that the brits wouldn't like her because she's good but only like her because they recognize her
0: i think so <laughs> I, I think that's the implication <laughs> she died from natural causes at the age of 91 in Lu- um, louis sussex Um, 13th of April 1938, Grey Owl. Archibald Stansfield Bellany, commonly known as Grey Owl, was was a British-born conservationist, fur trapper, and writer, who pretended to be a First Nation person. Uh, When he achieved fame as a conservationist during his life, after his death, the revelation that he was not indigenous, along with other autobiographical fabrications, negatively affected his reputation. Melanie rose to prominence as a noble author and lecturer, pro- primarily on the environmental issues. So, in, in this work, looks a bit
2: like Hugh Jackman, though, doesn't he?
0: Yeah. Oh, actually, I was I was thinking more from the picture here. I'm thinking more like a young Timothy Dalton. I could be wrong, though. So, yeah. Um,
1: his conservation. What do
2: Who does he look like?
1: Hmm. Uh, I, 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 I. It looks familiar, but I can't put my name on it. Okay, do you know where he's from before? No, I can't say. It's that sort of thing that's backed my mind, but I just can't put a finger on it. (laughs) It's got me! (laughs) His So yeah, his uh, conservation
0: views largely focused on humans' negative impact on nature through the commodification of nat- nature's resources for profits and the need for humans to develop a respect for the na- natural world. Uh, recognition of Bellini has included biographies, a historical a historic plaque uh, plaque. Sorry, at his birthplace Ma. and plaque. I thought plaque was the whole tea thing. I hey, so true. <laughs>
1: Well, I'll just uh, play
0: for them. Yeah, and uh, 1999 biopic about his life by the director Richard Attenborough. He died from pneumonia at the age of 49 in Prince Albert,
2: Saskatchewan. Your pronunciation was quite a bit off.
0: I oh, know it was Saskatchewan. Oh, I'm gonna get
2: murdered. I thought like Saskatchewan. Yeah, but not knowing many Canadians, I. Confirm.
0: Yep. On the 13th of April, 1941, Annie Jump Cannon, an uh, American astronomer whose cataloguing work was instrumental in developing, in the development of um, contemporary stellar classi- classification. With Edward C. Pickering, she's credited with the cl- creation of the Harvard Classification Scheme, which was the first serious attempt to organize and classify stars based on their temperatures and spectral types. She was nearly deaf throughout her career. Uh, she was... She was a suffragist and a member of the National Women's Party. Uh, Canon manually classified more stars in a lifetime than anyone else with a total of around 350,000 stars. Wow. 350,000 stars. <laughs> How did she do Like, A? Okay, I need to find an A. Uh. <laughs> uh, she discovered 300 variable stars, five novas, and one spe- spectroscopic binary, creating a bibliography they included about 2200,000 references oh that's a lot of references i'd hate to be the lecturer of that uh, she discovered her first star in 1898, uh, though she was not able to confirm it until 1905. Uh, when she first started cataloging the stars, she was able to classify a thousand stars in three years. But by 1913, she was able to work on two hundred stars an hour. Whoa, she's a machine,
1: just pumping that stuff out. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, Canon could classify three stars a minute just by looking at the spectral patterns, and if and if using a magnifying glass could classify stars down to the ninth magnitude around 16 times fainter than the human eye can see.
1: Jesus. Just, yeah, pumping out all his research papers non-stop. Here you go, one more, <laughs> one more. New star <laughs> constellation, guys. <laughs> oh, wait, not good enough? Oh, here's another one. There you go. <laughs> oh, man. Pulls paper from thin air.
2: Oh, man. Wow. What about the peer review people?
1: It's <laughs> oh, all done.
2: It's all good. Don't worry about it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> See, they're like, a, a camp fan trailer right behind me, right? They all got a little desk set up. I just throw a paper on them. They just... Yep, good, good, good. Ah, done, done. <laughs> See? <laughs> if, if, like,
0: if, like, ca- if, if, if I bet you that, but if I cure like, for cancer, oh, no. Who wants a cure for cancer? The stars would do, man. <laughs> more of a cure for cancer, stars, the stars are the other (sighs) thing. In 1935, she created the, uh, oh actually, I was going to tell you, in 1925, she became the first woman to receive an honorary doctorate of science from Oxford University. In 1935, she created the Annie J. Cannon Prize for Women of Any Country Whose Contributions to the Science of Astronomy are the most distinguished. She died from congestive heart failure at the age of 77 in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Um, 13th of April 1944. Uh, Cecile Charminade, French composer and pianist. In 1913, she was awarded the Legionnaire de Honor, uh, first uh, for a female composer. Ambrose um, Thomas said, This is not a woman who composes, but a composer who is a woman. In 1908, she visited the United States where she was a. Cu- Accorded a, heart, a hearty welcome. Her compositions were tremendous favorites with the American public, and such pieces as "Scarf Dancer" or "The Ballet No One" were found in the music libraries of many music lov- many lovers of piano music of the time. She composed a concert for piano and orchestra. The ballet music to Kalir Kali- Ho and other orchestral works. A song such as the Silver Ring and Rita Lee. Oh man, I'm I'm getting ta- I'm carded here. <laughs> were great, also great favorites. Uh, in 1901, she made gramophone recordings of seven of her compositions for the Gramophone and Typewriter Company. They're, these are among the most sought-after piano recordings by collectors, and they were reissued on compact disc. Um, she was really relegated to obscurity for the second half of the 20th century. Her piano pieces and music. Were mostly forgotten. Uh, With the flute concertino in D minor, OP-107 was composed for the 1902 Paris Conservatoire Concours, her most popular piece today. Uh, Her music has been described as tuneful, highly accessible, and mildly chromatic, and may be regarded as bearing the typical characteristics of late romantic French music. She died at the age of 86 in Monte Carlo. Uh, Now to our famous birthdays. uh, 13th of April 1570, Guy Fawkes, also known as Guido Fawkes. Guido Fawkes, eh? Uh, While fighting for the Spanish, uh, was a member of the group of English um, Catholics who planned the failed gunpowder plot of 1605. Fawkes converted to Catholicism and left for mainland Europe where he fought for Catholic Spain in the 80 Years' War against Protestant Dutch Reformers in the Low Countries. He travelled to Spain to spe- seek uh, support for a Catholic rebellion in England without success. Uh, then he m- met Thomas Winthor, with whom he returned to England. And you-, you all know the story of Guy Fawkes, right, guys? Yes, yes. Yeah.
2: Tried to blow things up, got caught, got in serious trouble. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, so uh, he was questioned and tortured over for a few days and confessed to wanting to blow up the House of Lords. He became synonymous with the Gunpowder Plot, with um, the failure to which was has been commemorated in the UK as Guy Fawkes Night since 5th of November 1605, when his effigy is traditionally burned on a bonfire, commonly accompanied by fireworks. He was born in Stonegate, York, and so uh, and his face is is ever so popular till now.
2: Yeah. And check out that, um, that Wikipedia picture of him. Those eyes, he's just looking at it like, wait a minute, I've had a great idea.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he has that thinking man pose, you know, like... <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, uh, 13th of April, 19- 1892, Robert Watson Watt. So Robert Alexander Watson Watt, uh, Scottish. Scottish pioneer of radio direction finding and radar technology. Watt began his career in radio physics at the office at the med Office, at the job at the med Office, where he began looking for an accurate way to track thunderstorms using the radio signals giving off by lightning. This led to the 1920s development of a system later known as HuffDuff. HuffDuff allowed um, operators to determine the location of an enemy radio in seconds, and it became a major part of the network of systems that helped defeat the U-boat threat. It is estimated that Huff-Duff was used in about a quarter of all attacks on U-boats. And then, 1935, Watt was asked to comment on the reports of the De- German death ray based on radio. Uh, Watt and his assistant, Re- Arnold Frederick Wilkins, quickly determined it's not possible. I don't know. Death ray based on radio. That's uh, there is a thing called no. the. Br- oh come on! What about the brown note though? Wouldn't that wouldn't, wouldn't That's
2: that probably not real? Uh, so you couldn't make a death ray out of radio because the standard radio frequencies are the wrong frequency. Well, you could do specifically 2.4 gigahertz, aka microwaves. That ra- that will cause you to feel hot, hmm. but you need to go to a very different frequency to actually kill someone.
0: Quickly. Yeah. Yeah. But Wilkins suggested using radio signals to locate aircraft at long distances. This led to the demonstration where signals from a BBC shortwave transmitter was bounced off a hardly paged Hayford aircraft, hence the t- hence radar was born. Uh, Watson, Watson-Water Watson justified his choice of a non-optimal frequency for his radar with the, with his often quoted Cult of the Imperfect, which he stated as... Give them the best the, the third best to go on with. The second best comes too late, and the best never comes. Um, he was born in Bretchen, Angus, 13th of April, 1899, Alfred Moser Butts, uh, American architect, famous for inventing the board game Scrabble in 1938. In the early 1930s, after working as an architect but now unemployed, Butts set out to design a board game. He studied existing games and found out that the games fell into three categories. Number games such as as dice and bingo, move games such as chess and checkers, and word games such as anagrams. Butts decided to create a game that utilized both chance and skill by combining elements of anagrams and crossword puzzles, a popular pastime of the 1920s. Players also draws would draw seven letter tiles from a pool and then attempt to form words from their seven keys. A key game to a key to this game was Butt's analysis of the English language. Butt studied the front page of the New York Times to calculate how frequently each letter of the English alphabet was used. He then used each letter's frequency to determine how how, much, how many of the each letter he would include in the game. He included only four S tiles so that the ability to make words plural would not make the game too easy. Uh, Butz initially called the game Lexico, but, la- but, the later, um, but later changed the name to Criss Crosswords after considering it, and began looking for a new buyer. The game makers um, he originally contract- contacted rejected the idea, but Butts was tenacious. Eventually, he sold the rights to entrepreneur and game lover James Brunot, um, who made a few minor adjustments to the design and renamed the game Scrabble. To memorialize the to memorialize Butts's importance to the invention of the game, there is a street at there is a street sign at the 35th Avenue and 81st Street in Jackson Heights that is styled. They stylized using letters with their values in Scrabble as a subscript. He was born in Poughkeepsie, New York. Imagine, ha- uh, I'm, I'm wondering uh, with Scrabble, can you imagine like um updating that game with um with modern slang?
1: Oh no, they're going to do a card to get to Mandy thing. <laughs> uh-huh. Scrabble Disney Scrabble slang Scrabble streetwear. <laughs> no. Make it stop! <laughs> Scrabble, Boomers.
0: <laughs> oh no! <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> oh, uh, events of interest. Thirteenth uh, of April, nineteen fifty-three. Project MK Ultra begins. So this is the... The Project AK Ultra, also called the CIA Mind Control Program, is the code name given to a program of experiments on human subjects that were designed to and undertaken by the US Central Intelligence Agency, some of which were illegal. And... Uh, it, Most it, of
2: them seem to have been illegal.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Short say it. it's fine, as long as you don't see it is. It's totally
0: fine. <laughs> what was it? That what was the classical term. Um, it's all fun and games. <laughs>
1: Everything's legal well, until the cops show around, guys. <laughs> a lot of people got hurt.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the experimentations were intended to identify and develop drugs and procedures that were used in interrogations in order to weaken the individual and force confessions through mind control. Yeah, mind control. Yeah, that's a that's a thing. Yeah, that was a thing then. <laughs>
2: Well, it's not really a thing. They never got it working.
0: Yeah, I was being sarcastic. Uh, but the, yeah, the Project Internationally Obscure CIA Kryptonum is made up the, of the digraph, uh, digraph MK, meaning that the project was sponsored by the agency's technical services staff, following by the word Ultra, which had previously been used to designate the most secret classifications of World War II intelligence. Other related cryptonyms include Project MK Naomi and Project MK Delta. So, yeah, that's some very interesting code names. Uh, the project was organized through the Office of Scientific Intelligence of the CIA and coordinated th- with the United States Army Biological Warfare Li- Laboratory. Codenames for drug related experiments were Project Bluebird and Project Artichoke.
1: <laughs> project Bluebird, Project Artichoke. <laughs> It's, mm. Sorry, it's funny Just how, how like Simple his names are yep. Compared to what They actually represent It's, like...
0: <laughs> it's, it's an introducing oh. Project Artichoke We produce We give you Marijuana <laughs> Hey guys
1: <laughs> <laughs> They will never know
0: Yep We'll never know The project was engaged In many legal activities including the use of US and Canadian citizens as its unwitting test subjects, which led to controversy regarding its legitimacy. MKUltra used numerous methods to manipulate its subjects' mental states and brain function. Techniques include the covert administration of high doses of psychoactive drugs, especially LSD and other chemicals, electroshocks, hypnosis, sensory deprivation, isolation, verbal and sexual abuse, as well as other forms of torture. Oh, man. that's yeah. Man. Yeah. yeah. And, the and separate...
2: keep in mind all the people who went nuts for it and did crazy stuff. So there was the guy who committed suicide after being dosed with LSD without being told that he was a test subject. There was the Unabomber who started posting bombs around after he was a true MKUltra. it has got to be more of them.
0: Oh, man. And oh yeah, the, you. Uh, I think you told me as well. Um, the guy who wrote one flew of the cuckoo's nest was also
2: involved in. Yes, Ken Kesey was a um was in MKUltra.
0: Yeah. Um. So in the in December 2018, declassified documents include a letter to an un unidentified doctor discussing work on six dogs made to run, turn, and stop via remote control and brain implants. Jeez. <laughs> Uh, 13th of April, 1970, um, Apollo 13 oxygen tank explodes on 13th of April, 1970. Disaster strikes 200,000 miles from Earth when oxygen tank number two blows up on Apollo 13, the third manned lunar landing mission. Astronaut James A. Lovell and... Oh, sorry, James A. Lovell, John L. Swigert, and Fred W. Hayes... Had left her two days before for the uh, F- for the Far Monroe Highlands of the uh, Moon, which were forced to turn their attention to simply making it home alive. Mission Control Lop Mission Commander Lovell um, reported to Mission Control on Earth Houston, we have a problem here. Uh-huh. So, yeah, the astronauts and Mission Control were faced with enormous lo- lo- log- logistical problems in de- stabilizing the spacecraft. Uh, navigation was also another problem, and Apollo 13's course was. Re- Repeatedly corrected with dramatic and untested maneuvers. On April seventeenth, with the world anxiously watching, tragedy turned to triumph as the Apollo thirteen astronauts touched down safely in the Pacific Ocean. You guys saw? Uh, you guys saw the movie, by the way.
2: Yes, yes. Yeah, Thanks.
0: Hanks. Uh, that was a good movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, finally, the on the thirteenth of April, twenty seventeen, the U.S. drops the largest ever nuclear weapon on Naggar. Nangarhar Province, Afghanistan. The B- GBU-43/43B mass ordnance air blast, commonly known as Mother of All Bombs, large yield bomb developed for the United States military by Albert L. Wehmertz Jr. of the United Air of the Air Force Research Laboratory. God, so many <laughs> slashes and dashes. Ah. At the time of development, it was said to be the most powerful non-nuclear weapon in the New- American arsenal. The basic principle resembles that of a BLU-82 daisy cutter, which was used to cut heavily wooded areas in the Vietnam War. And the MOB was first dropped in, in combat on the 13th of April, um, st- airstrike, against the Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant, uh, Khorasan Province, tunnel complex in Action District, Afghanistan. Uh, casualty figures were initially reported as 36, but increased over the following days as reconnaissance units investigated the sites. On the 18th of April, one Afghan one Afghan security official said that it killed 96 Islamic State militants, among them 13 mili- major commanders. Uh, Stars and Stripes reported that the that General uh, Darulat Waziri, spokesman for Af- Afghanistan's defense. Mi- Ministry said that the strike, the uh, oper- offensive operation in the area was resumed. An Afghan officer also said that the trees, 100 metres away from the impact point, had remained standing.
2: Yeah, it's an insane bomb, though. Yeah. The, um, the overpressure from it is enough to blow away the atmosphere and basically turn your lungs inside out. <sighs> Probably a bit exaggerated, but... The idea is it sucks the air out of tunnels and it kills kills you without having to deal with actually penetrating the tunnel because any ventilation system it will just suck the air out and you die. I would hate to be those invest-
0: I would hate to be those investigators, you know, just like taking photos of the thing. Like I oh, I can't take it anymore. It's so many, so much blood it, so much blood everywhere.
2: Yeah. <sighs>
0: um. Anything else uh, before we finish the episode? No,
2: so we're pretty where good. Find, where do they find us, DJ? Uh,
0: so yeah, they can find us on Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, all of our stuff will be on our on our show notes. They can find us there. Um, they can also find us on That's Not Canon dot com, where we have an archive of old episode. Um, also, they can also check out some of the other podcasts, such as uh, That's Not COVID, which is. Um, which which is the um, podcast for people staying in quarantine, if I recall,
2: Professor. Yes, and uh, it's called That's Not COVID because we don't discuss anything to do with the virus. We just discuss things to do and uh, other things you can do to stay sane at the moment. Yeah, enough.
0: And,
1: yeah, um, see you next week. Will do. See you later, guys. Stay
2: hydrated, look after each other, and stay inside.